your Bibles and turn to the book of Judges in the Old Testament, the book of Judges chapter 3. Judges chapter 3. I'm going to be starting a series of messages out of the book of Judges on Sunday afternoons, and we're going to be looking at the lives of, ju- of the judges of the nation of Israel. And um, we're going to learn some lessons. That's the title of the series, Lessons from the Lives of the Judges. And we'll be considering many of them. Not certain that we'll consider all of them. But uh, it's a, so far it's been a, a very good study for, for me, convicting. Uh, and I want to be able to share some of these truths with you. Um, <clears throat> I want you to pay attention. And I know we get tired and we ate lunch and it's been a long day and eyes start to get heavy uh, and weary. Um, but we have something from the Lord and we need to engage with God's Word and ask the Lord to help you now uh, to stay awake, to stay alert, to uh, be engaging and I don't want Sunday afternoons to turn into a short devotion so that we can just get out of here. Uh, we need to hear from the Lord again. And somebody asked me that actually about one time about our schedule and the way we do things here. And traditionally, it's been the Sunday evening, 6 p.m. service, you know. And and you're 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 rebellious. You're sinning against God if you don't have a 6 p.m. service. That's the tradition of the elders, you know. And I was simply expressing to them, well, you can do what you need to do, and we're going to do what we need to do, and it works for us. And the one thing he said to me was, well, don't you think that the afternoon service turns into like a little devotion, and it gets shorter and shorter because people fall asleep and you need to go home? And I said, well, no, that's not what I think, although that is a good thought. (laughs) Uh, And I want to encourage you to uh, engage with the Word of God this afternoon, okay? I want to draw your attention to chapter... We're going to be... Our text is going to be in chapter 3, but we're going to go back just a little bit. We're going to start in verse 20 of chapter 2. And I'll read our text, then I'm going to make some introductory statements uh, that introduce the book of the Judges and, and really the nation of Israel, and it gives us context for what we see uh, in the book of Judges, Okay? And you'll understand as we go. But let's look at chapter 2 and verse 20. And the Bible says here that the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he said, Because that this people hath transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and have not hearkened unto my voice, I also will not henceforth drive out any from before them of the nations, which Joshua left when he died, that through them I may prove Israel whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk therein as their fathers did keep it or not. Therefore the Lord left those nations without driving them out hastily, neither delivered he them into the hand of Joshua. Now these are the nations which the Lord left to prove Israel by them, even as many of Israel as had not known all the wars of Canaan, only that the generation of the children of Israel might know to teach them war, at the least such as before knew nothing thereof, namely five lords of the Philistines and of all the Canaanites and the Sidonians and the Hivites that dwelt in Mount Lebanon from Mount Baal-Hermon unto the entering in of Hamath. And they were to prove Israel by them 
to know whether they would hearken unto the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. And the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and Jebusites. And they took their daughters to be their wives, and gave their daughters to their sons, and served their gods. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and forgot the Lord their God, and served Balaam and the groves. Therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Chuchash Rishaim, king of Mesopotamia. And the children of Israel served Chushan Rishaim eight years. And when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel, who delivered them, even Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel, and went out to war. And the Lord delivered Chushan Rishaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed against Chushan Rishaim. And the land had rest forty years, and Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. Now, the period addressed in the book of Judges is a period of time that is defined or was defined by lawlessness, by rebellion, and by failure among the people of Israel. The whole attitude of Israel during the time of the Judges is summed up in the words of Judges chapter 17 and verse 6, and also Judges chapter 21 and verse 15, or verse 25 rather, both of those verses say exactly the same thing. And they say, in those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That's a summation of the period of time that the Judges refers to. That's also a pretty good description of our world today as well, that every man does that which was right in his own eyes. God had taken the nation of Israel. He had uh, delivered them from Egyptian bondage. He led them for 40 years through the wilderness. He brought them safely into the land of Canaan. He promised that he would defeat all of their enemies, but the condition of his promise was this, that they must walk with him in all of his ways, and in holiness. That was the condition. God commanded them to enter into the land of Canaan and to conquer it. Keep your place here and go back to Deuteronomy chapter 7. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, and follow along with me from verse 1. And note the words of the Lord. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land whither thou goest to possess it, and hath cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites, and the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them, and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. 
But thus shall ye deal with them. Ye shall destroy their altars, and break down their images, and cut down their groves, and burn their graven images with fire. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, For ye were the fewest of all people, but because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep an oath or keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out of a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now in Deuteronomy chapter 7, the commandments given in those verses are crystal clear for the nation of Israel. What were they to do? Well, verse 1 tells us they were to possess the land. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, whither thou goest, to possess it. They were to possess it. But verse 2 tells us that they were to utterly destroy the nations of Canaan. Verse 2, And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them, that thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. And so verse 2 tells us not only that they were to destroy the nations of Canaan, but they were not to make peace treaties with them. Verse 2 also tells us they were not to show mercy to them. Verse 3 tells us that they were not to intermarry with them, neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. And verse 5 tells us that they were to completely destroy every trace of their pagan religion. They're false gods. Verse 5, but, thou sh- but thus shall ye deal with them. Ye shall destroy their altars and break down their images and cut down their groves and burn their graven images with fire. The reason they were commanded to do this was because Israel was to be a different people from all the other nations surrounding them. Look at verse 6. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The reason they were to do these things was because God had chosen them to be his people separated from the rest of the nations and to be an example of the kind of God that he is. They, among all the people of the earth, had been chosen by God, blessed of God, promised victory by God if they would walk after Him. God demanded total separation among His people. And He knew that if Israel allowed themselves to be entangled with the Canaanites, that they would become corrupt spiritually and be drawn away from God to serve other gods. Verse 4 says, For they will turn away thy son from following after me, that they may serve other gods. God said, and and He told them, if you do these things, this is what's going to happen. And when that happened, God said, I'm going to visit you suddenly in my wrath. Look at the end of verse 4. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. There was no excuse for the nation of Israel as far as knowledge goes. They had their instructions from God but they failed to fully carry out the Lord's command. And the record of their failure is chronicled in the book of Judges. Go back to Judges chapter 1. 
and verse 19. And the Bible says, And the Lord was with Judah, and he drove out the inhabitants of the mountain, but could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley, because they had chariots of iron. And they gave Hebron unto Caleb, as Moses said, and he expelled thence the, uh, the sons of Anak. The Bible says here that the Lord was with Judah, but Judah didn't fully carry out the Lord's command. They couldn't drive out the people of the valley. Judah failed. In verse 21, And the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites that inhabited Jerusalem, but the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem unto this day. Benjamin failed. In verses 22 to 26, you see Joseph that Joseph failed. In verses 27 to 28, look at this. Neither did Manasseh drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shean and her towns, nor Tanak and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Dor and her towns, nor the inhabitants of, of Iblium and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Megiddo and her towns. But the Canaanites would dwell in that land. And it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites to tribute and did not utterly drive them out. Manasseh failed. Verse 29 tells us that Ephraim failed. Verse 30 tells us that Zebulun failed. Verses 31 and 32 tell us that Asher failed. Verse 33 tells us that Naphtali failed. And verse 34 says that Dan failed. And you notice there's some other tribes that are out there. The tribe of Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh. They refused to even enter into Canaan. They chose to remain on the other side of Jordan and didn't obey the Lord in that regard. And what I'm saying is Israel's failure to defeat their enemies resulted in their enemies dwelling with them. And after a while, they became like their enemies. They adopted the wicked ways of the various Canaanite tribes around them. And eventually, Israel began to worship the false gods of the Canaanites. And when they followed this downward path, God allowed them to know His displeasure and His judgment. And when that judgment came... Eventually, the people would realize that they were to blame. They would repent of their sin. They would seek after the Lord again. And when they did, God would forgive them and raise up a deliverer called a judge. These men, and sometimes women, helped Israel throw off the yoke of their oppressors. They also helped them to live for God for a while. Israel would follow that judge until that judge would die. But then Israel would revert back to their wicked ways and the cycle would start all over again. You've heard me talk about the cycle of the nation of Israel. This continued in Israel for probably almost 400 years until they got their first king. The book of Judges is very profitable. And the reason the book of Judges is profitable for us today, because in the pages of the book of Judges, we see that Israel faced many of the same problems that we face today. And the nation of Israel is a picture of the Christian life, and often the cycle that we go through in the Christian life. They faced physical enemies, certainly. They faced problems from the world, the flesh, and the devil. So do we. But Israel's biggest problem in many cases was themselves. 
And the same is true with you and me. And I want to share with you some lessons from the lives of the judges. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a judge each Sunday afternoon. And we're going to see what the Word of God has to say. We're going to make application for us. And as we look at these men and women that God used to deliver His people in those days, I want us to see that God is still looking for people. God is still looking for men and women that He can use to make a difference in the lives of people. God isn't looking for judges anymore, but He is looking for leaders. He's looking for men and women that He can use to make a difference, uh, to stem the tide of evil. He's looking for people who will rise up and stand for truth, and He's looking for people who can make a difference in the lives of others around them for eternity. Some of the people that He's looking for are right here in this room. God used common, ordinary men and women to accomplish His purpose in Israel. That's the same kind of people that He'll use today, like me and you. Common, ordinary people. But the key is, we've got to follow after the Lord. And so with that introduction in mind, I want us to look at chapter 3 of Judges. And we meet the first judge in Israel, His name is Othniel. We read about him. The name Othniel means the Lion of God. He was a man who lived up to that name. And so let's consider this passage. There's some things I want to draw out concerning the nation of Israel, and then we're going to draw out some things concerning Othniel himself and make some applications. Let's pray, and then we'll begin. Lord, we ask that you'd help us this afternoon, and Lord, we do desire that your presence is here. Help us to stay awake. Lord, that your word would engage our heart and our mind, and Lord, that we'd not be dismissive of what it is that you'd have for us today, but teach us your, the lessons from the lives of the judges. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, because Israel refused to walk with the Lord like he commanded them to, God then refused to drive out all their enemies in the land of Canaan. We read about that in chapter 2. And you notice in verse 20 again, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he said, because that this people hath transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers and have not hearkened unto my voice, I also will not henceforth drive out any from before them of the nations, which Joshua left when he died. So because they refused to walk with the Lord, God then did not drive out their enemies in the land of Canaan. Thus Israel was forced to live alongside the very people that God said you're supposed to drive out and destroy. We're told in verses 1 through 4 exactly why God left the people in the land. Look at the reasons that God gave in chapter 3, verse 1. Now these are the nations which the Lord left to prove Israel by them, even as many of Israel as had not known all the wars of Canaan. In verse 1, it tells us that he left them there to prove Israel. The word prove means to put to the test. So in other words, God allowed the pagan people to live around his people to test 
Israel. His people were tested to see how they would live when surrounded by the wicked. His people were tested to see if they would keep his commandments or not. Look at verse 4. And they were to prove Israel by them to know whether they would hearken unto the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Israel. Well, we find that Israel failed the test. They were tested and they failed. Now look at verse 2. And verse 2 tells us that he left them there to teach the new generation about warfare. In verse 2, only that the generation of the children of Israel might know to teach them war, at the least such as before knew nothing thereof. God wanted them to learn the lessons of battle that their fathers had known. This is another generation. God wanted them to know how to fight the enemy when he came around, but they failed that test too. Instead of fighting, they started to join them. And it wasn't long until this caused serious problems among the people of Israel. Israel proved that they could not be trusted to obey the Lord, and instead of fighting, they rather would join the enemy. And so I want us to notice how God delivered Israel from a time of cruel bondage, which ultimately it ended up being that, through Othniel, the Lion of God. First thing that I want to draw your attention to, though, is Israel's compromise. Look in verses 5 through 7. Israel's compromise. And the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, Hittites, and Amorites, and Perizzites, and Hivites, and Jebusites. They took their daughters to be their wives, and gave their daughters to their sons, and served their gods. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and forgot the Lord their God, and served Balaam and the groves. These verses give us the ugly details of Israel's first great failure. When they didn't stand uh, with the Lord, and when they, to re- they chose to rebel against God, uh, it brought all kinds of, of trouble into their life. Their compromise brought all kinds of ruin into their lives. And what they did stands as a stark warning to the people of God in any age. What Israel did then is what we see people doing around, uh, all around us today. And I want you to notice how they compromised the word and the will of God to do the things that they wanted to. Verse 5 tells us, first of all, that they had interaction with the Canaanites. Verse 5 says that they dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites. The Bible says that they dwelt among the various tribes of Canaan. The word dwelt has the idea of settling down or setting up for housekeeping. In other words, this was like a permanent thing here. This wasn't a sojourning, a temporary situation. When Israel arrived in Canaan, they were commanded to destroy these people, to drive them out, not live among them. And it took a very short time for their former enemies to become their neighbors. And here's the problem. Israel was to be separate from the world around them. They were unique among all the peoples of the world. God chose them. They had been chosen. They had been set apart to serve the the Almighty God. He expected them to remain separate. And we read about it in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Just let me remind you of it here. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, again... In verse 6, 
The Bible says, For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all peoples that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people. For ye were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of a bondman for, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Now, if you read on in that section, you find this, know this. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenants and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repayeth them that hate him to their face, to destroy them. He will not be slack to him that hateth him. He will repay him to his face. Thou shalt therefore keep the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which I command thee this day to do them. They were commanded of the Lord, full instruction of the Lord, to drive out the people, to be separate from the people, that he had chosen them. They were to keep his commands, but they didn't. And when they didn't, it opened up the floodgate of sin that would end with them facing the terrible chastisement of the Lord. The application is really simple, and it's this. And I don't think I need to remind you of this. That as saved people as born-again believers, as redeemed ones of the Holy One, we are to be a separate people from this world. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, or chapter 6 rather, in verse 17 says, Come out from among them, and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. I don't need to remind you that the Word of God tells us that we are to be a peculiar people. In Titus chapter 2, in verse 14, turn over there, keep your place, and look in Titus chapter 2, in verse 14. The Bible says here, "...who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works." That word peculiar doesn't mean weird. It doesn't mean something that is to be gawked at as weird. What it means is that we are His special possession. That's what it means. Because He's chosen us. We are His special possession. He loved us. He chose us. He sent His Son to die for us. He redeemed us. He bought us with His blood. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 also tells us that we are not our own. We are bought with the price. And we are to glorify God with our body and our spirit, which are God's. And my point is this. When we refuse to walk in His will or honor His word in our lives, we will open up the floodgates of sin into our life. It never stays the same. Eventually, it's going to overwhelm us. Eventually, we're going to drown. It's a dangerous thing for a child of God to be living with and intermingling with the world around them. That's what the nation of Israel did. They dwelt among them when they were to be a separate people. Not only did they dwell among them, but notice, not only did they have interaction 
And when I say interaction, I'm not just talking about contact. They dwelt among them. Not only that, but they intermarried with them. Go back to our text in verse 6. Judges chapter 3 in verse 6. The Bible says in the first part of verse 6, they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons. And eventually they served their gods. So they dwelt among them, and after a while, the people of Israel got so used to living among the Canaanites that they began to intermarry with them. This was expressly forbidden by the Lord. It was absolute pure disobedience on their part. God specifically said, don't do it, because when you do it, they're going to turn the heart of your sons away from God. I'm going to get to that in a minute. And you need to listen up. You need to pay attention. There's something the Lord has for you today. I'm very concerned about some things. I'm very concerned for some of you in your own life and the lives of your children. I'm concerned for myself in the lives of my children. You need to listen up. And I'm going to get to that in just a minute. What happened here was these people were in direct disobedience to the Lord. God said, don't intermarry with them. There's terrible consequences that are going to come. And maybe these people said, well, these Canaanites aren't quite as bad as we were told. They're actually some nice people. They're our neighbors. They're not monsters at all like we imagined. Their women make good wives. There's no reason why we can't marry them. In fact, maybe we could have an influence on them. But Israel soon found out that it wasn't the Canaanites who were about to change. It was Israel that was going to change. And as they married into the tribes around them, you think, well, what's the big deal? They're just marrying some pretty decent people. But, but understand this. As they married into the tribes around them, the Israelites began to lose their personal and international or national identity as people of God, chosen of God. They began to lose something very special that God had chosen. The very integrity of their families began to break down, and soon they lost the very thing that made them unique. But you know the same danger confronts us today? When we dwell among the world, we get too close to the world around us, we'll soon find ourselves entangled with them and their sins and start to become like them. And listen, let me tell you this. The company that you keep will determine how close you walk with the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 33 says, Evil communications corrupt good manners. You know what the word good manners means? It means moral habits. Evil communications corrupt 
good manners. And the company that you keep will make a difference and influence your life. Listen, I know of Christian people in church, they, they have this appearance and they, they come across as spiritual and so on, but they'd rather be with people of the world and they're with people of the world all the time. And pretty soon they start talking like the people of the world. When they're on the job site, it's not a thing for them to, to, to let out a curse word. They smash their finger with a hammer and it's all blankety blank. And they blend in and they act like and they talk like and they listen to and do all the same things as the people of the world. They do. They're just like them. Not in church, though. Oh, those are bad words. You can't say those. They'd rather be closer to and be friends with and hang out with the people of the world rather than God's people and it absolutely begins to influence and affect their life. And it's very visible. The change is visible. Listen, we need to interact with the world so that we can be a light unto them, certainly to give them the gospel. Jesus said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. However, that's not the same thing as intermingling with and being like. We're still to keep a spiritual distance because it's a very short step from walking with the world, dwelling among the world, and then living like the world. Very short step. Notice the second part of verse 6 and into verse 7. Because here we see the idolatry with the Canaanites. Verse 6, the last part says, and they served their gods. You see the progression here? They dwelt among them, they intermarried with them, and they started to serve their gods. Look at verse 7. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God and served Balaam and the groves. It's a very short step from living among them to marrying them to worshiping with them. And so these people, the children of Israel, the chosen of God, the ones who'd been delivered from Egypt by the power of God, the ones who were the beneficiaries of the hand of God and the power of God in their life, time and time again, they find themselves now bowing before idols, false gods, the gods of the Canaanites. How is that possible? The second part of verse 7 says they served Balaam and the groves. If you just read over those words, you don't maybe necessarily get the full impact of it. But it refers to the various gods and goddesses of the Canaanites. What we need to understand is that many of their gods were associated with fertility rituals and actually involved the prostitution of their daughters in the groves. And what the nation of Israel was doing was now handing over their precious children to the false gods of the world. Here's a people who've gone in one generation from worshiping God, obeying His commands, to completely abandoning God while they worship with the enemy. And worst of all, they took their precious sons and daughters and handed them over to the very people that God commanded them to drive out and not be a part of. 
But the same danger confronts wayward saints in our day. Listen, when we refuse to maintain a distance from the world around us, we continually yoke ourselves to the people and the things of this world. We begin to bow down at their altars. Listen, you are going to sacrifice the next generation to the gods of this world. We're teaching our children that they're free to treat God and His Word however they please. We're teaching our children and telling them that it's all right to disregard God in His Word. We're telling them that it's okay to disregard the house of God. We're telling them that it's okay to not worship Him and obey His will. We're telling them that it, they're free to chart their own course. That's what we're telling them. Listen up! Don't ignore it. Verse 7 says there's an indifference completely because verse 7 says the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and forget the Lord their God. Each step they took led them farther away from God. Each step led them down this path toward completely abandoning Him and His ways. It says they forgot the Lord their God. You know what that word means, forget? It means to ignore or cease to care. Pay attention. Look this way. The people of Israel reached a place where they simply ignored God. They ceased to care about Him or what He had to say about things. They reached a place of indifference toward the Lord, and I am afraid that's where many are today. At least some. Some even in this room. You know the Lord is here. You know the Lord has something to say to you. You know that His Word has something to say to you and how you live your life. You know that God has a claim on your life, but you're choosing to ignore Him. You're hardening your heart against Him, against His Word, against the call of the Spirit of God in you. You're turning a deaf ear to Him and His call on your life. And as far as things go, God doesn't really matter anymore. And He might not even exist. That's a dangerous place to be. Not only for you, but also your children. Israel compromised. And they found out that it was going to cost them. Look at verse 8. Therefore. Whenever you see the therefore, you go back and find out what it's there for, right? Well, we know what it's there for. We just read it. Because they did this, therefore, the anger of the Lord was hot 
against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Cush-Shan-Rishthaim, king of Mesopotamia. And the children of Israel served Chushan-Rishthaim eight years. Here we see Israel's chastisement. Israel was in a spiritually dark and bad place, but that's not where the Lord was going to leave them. Charles Haddon Spurgeon used to say this. He used to say that God never allows His people to sin successfully. In other words, there's always a price to pay for willful disobedience and rebellion against God. Do you notice the focus of God's anger in verse 8? The Bible says that God was angry. His anger was hot against who? Against Israel. God wasn't angry at the Canaanites. Well, certainly He was for their own sins, but the direction of God's anger was to His people. The word anger here refers to the flaring of the nostrils. It's the image of a face that's filled with wrath. The word hot means to be furious. God wasn't angry or furious with the Canaanites. His anger was directed at His people. And it was because it was willful. Listen, if you're saved today and you choose to walk away from the Lord... You might as well know that there's going to be a price to pay. God's going to bring His chastisement into your life. He said so. Hebrews chapter 12 says, God chastens every son whom He receiveth. But then it says, if you be without chastisement, then you're a bastard, illegitimate, and not a son. You're not a saved person. God doesn't do that to hurt us because Hebrews 12 says, the chastening for the present don't, doesn't seem to be joyous. It's not fun. It seems to be grievous. But afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness in our life. God doesn't do that to hurt us, but to help us get back to where we're supposed to be. Did you also notice that the Bible says that God sold them? The anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and He sold them into the hand of this pagan king. That word sold has the idea of giving up or giving over into one's control or power. In other words, Israel gave themselves to paganism, and so God said, okay, I'm going to give you what you want. They didn't want to follow God and His rules in their lives, so, they, so God allowed them then to be ruled by a harsh and a pagan king. The name of this king, Chushan Rithshayim, it means doubly wicked, Kushan. All that means is that Israel ended up reaping what they had sowed. They wanted paganism. They wanted their sin. They wanted their false gods. God gave them everything that they asked for and so much more, and it brought leanness into their soul. Eventually, it got to be so bad and so harsh that the nation of Israel understood that we're the ones to blame. They don't want this anymore, and they cry out to God in repentance because of the harshness of the way that they had lived. The same danger faces people today. 
There may be some here sitting today who you're not as close to the Lord as you once were. You're not attending church like you used to. You're not as committed as you used to be. You're no longer faithful to the Lord like you once were. You just don't serve Him like you used to. Other things have taken His place in your life, other gods. When we get to that point, friend, we should not be surprised when we end up reaping what we've sown. Those things that are so important to us can become tyrants in our life, and they can become doubly wicked to us. Or you might reap that harvest in the lives of your children when they end up walking away from the Lord. You might reap your harvest in God selling you to the things that you run after. God is not to be trifled with. God is not to be ignored. The Bible says that the nation of Israel was sold into slavery and God left them there for eight years. He allowed them to experience the full measure of what their rebellion would cost them. When they dwelt among the Canaanites, when they married their sons and their daughters and they bowed down to their gods, they never thought it would come to that. But it did, and they ended up paying a terrible price. What's the point? Well, the point is, as God's people, we should not compromise. Amen? God has given us His Word. We have no excuses. We have instruction. We cannot mingle with the world and expect that the world is not going to influence our life. And it shows itself. But when we do, if we're children of God, we'll receive the chastening hand of the Lord. Because He doesn't want us to stay there. And that brings us to the last thought, Israel's champion. And in this, we see a picture of God's mercy and God's grace to His people. Look at verses 9 through 11. And when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel who delivered them, even Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel, and went out to war, and the Lord delivered Chushan Rishayim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed against Chushan Rishayim, and the land had rest forty years. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. Othniel, the Lion of God, was Israel's champion. And when Israel had finally come to themselves after being enslaved and dominated by the doubly wicked king, They ended up calling on God, and God heard them. And when they turned back to Him in their heart, and this is true repentance on the part of the nation of Israel, God reached out to them in deliverance. And He raised up their first judge, a man by the name of Othniel. Othniel is called a deliverer in this passage. And the word means a savior. That's what Othniel was. Consider Othniel's credentials. Verse 9 tells us, excuse me, that Othniel was the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. 
We're told that he is Caleb's younger brother. We're also told that he's the son of Kenaz. Now, if you know the life of Caleb, you'll know that Caleb was actually the son of Jephunneh. Numbers chapter 13 tells us that. So it seems like there might be a contradiction here, but there's not. Kenaz was probably Caleb's brother, and Othniel was probably Kenaz's son. That would have made Othniel Caleb's nephew, and if Kenaz was dead, Othniel would have been elevated to a place of leadership in the family, and he would have been recognized then as Caleb's younger brother. At any rate, Othniel was a man of courage. He was a man of bravery. In Judges chapter 1 and verse 12, the Bible tells us here, And Caleb said, He that smiteth curgeth Sefer, and taketh it, to him will I give Oxa my daughter to wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, took it, and he gave him Oxa his daughter, to wife. Othniel had already proven himself. Othniel was a man of courage, a man of bravery. He went and took a Canaanite city, and he won Caleb's daughter as his wife. And so Othniel is described as a man of courage, a man who has strong ties with a former generation of leaders in Israel. Now, we don't know how old Othniel was, but as I was studying out this, most commentators believe that he was an older man. Some believe he was around the age of 75 when he was a judge in Israel. The point is is that he would have been battle-tested. The other point is this, that even as an older man, he was available and God chose him and God used him. Othniel reminds us that God can use anyone and will use anyone, regardless of how old a person might be, regardless of a person's past, regardless of who we are or what we have going for us or what we have going against us. God can use a person for His glory if we make ourselves available to Him. Someone might say, well, I don't have much to offer God. God's not looking for how much you have to offer Him. What he's looking for is somebody who's willing to be used of him. Othniel did that, and the Lord used him in a mighty way. It's been said, and I believe it's true, that the greatest ability is availability. God wants people simply to be available for him to use. Now notice Othniel's companion. Verse 10 tells us, And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Here's the key, right here. Not because Othniel was something special in himself, but the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Othniel didn't possess the power to deliver Israel within himself. But when the Spirit of God came, and the Spirit of God took control of his life, God was able to use him. Othniel didn't have the power to deliver Israel. Othniel wasn't the one who delivered Israel. God delivered them through Othniel. The truth is this. Left to ourselves... We are incapable of serving God as He deserves to be served. The only way that we'll ever be useful to and usable by the Lord is when we are controlled by His Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, which we're in in our Wednesday night Bible studies, walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Then it lists the lusts of the flesh. And then it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is this, 
This is what the fruit of the Spirit looks like in your life. And then you get down to the end of the passage. It says, if you live in the Spirit, if you're saved and the, the, the Spirit of God indwells you, then let us walk in the Spirit. The key is to yield. The key is to yield. Walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Be filled with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God enables us, but we've got to yield to Him and His power in our lives. That's the secret to power with God. That's the secret to power with God in our families, too. Is to finally come to the point where we say, Okay, God, I yield to You. I will obey You. I'll stop fighting and I'll stop resisting and wanting my own way and I'll yield to you. Notice the next verse or the rest of verse 10 and into verse 11. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he judged Israel and went out to war and the Lord delivered Chushan Rishayim, the king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. Verse 11 says, And the land had rest forty years, and Othniel the son of Kenaz died. Here's Othniel's conquest. God enabled Othniel to go out to war and to defeat the doubly wicked Chushan. God allowed Othniel to deliver Israel from the bondage of this pagan king. God empowered Othniel to judge the nation of Israel for the rest of his life. The Bible says 40 years they had rest. God gave Othniel victory in his life because Othniel gave himself to the Lord. And the application is this before we close. Do you want the Lord to use your life for His glory? Do you want to see your family delivered from the bondage of sin in this world? Do you want victory in your own life? If you do, you need to yield to the Lord like Othniel did. You need to allow the Lord to have first place. You need to yield your will to Him. You need to say, I agree with you, God. I'll obey you. You control. Or do you use me for your glory? And I wonder, are you concerned about where you are spiritually with the Lord today? Are you even concerned about where your family is headed? Are you concerned about some people around you who've gone off in search of the things of this world. Because maybe that's, like Israel and their compromise, maybe that's not a reflection of you, but it's a reflection of others. And are you concerned about them? And what's happening in their lives and in their families? If any of that is true, you need to ask the Lord to help you deal with the issue. Maybe you're one who would like to be used of the Lord in a greater way. Maybe you need to be more dedicated to Him. I don't know what the Lord might be dealing with you about. He might be dealing with you about your walk with Him personally. Whatever the case is, 
God is speaking. His word is speaking. And the only way, the only way to make a difference, and the only way to, the only way is to obey the Lord. That's the bottom line. That is the only way. Where are you today? God speaking in your heart about something. Do business with God. For your sake, for your family's sake. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Sometimes it shocks us. Sometimes it helps us in encouragement. Sometimes it steps on our toes. But all the time, it's exactly what we need. The Word of God is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of a person's heart. The Word of God is striking true this afternoon. And I can't see into the people's hearts. But Lord, I know that you're here. I know that your spirit is. And Lord, I'm asking that you would work mightily in hearts and lives today. And Lord, may we all have the heart and the mind that, Lord, I just, I want to be obedient to you. I want to keep your commands. I want to walk in your ways. And and at times I fail, and at times I'm not perfect at that. At times my flesh controls me. And I don't want it to. So Lord, I yield to you again. And when Israel cried out to the Lord with a repentant heart and they turned back again to Him, Lord, that's when You sent deliverance. So Lord, I pray that You would work to that end in our lives and even accomplish Your will in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's keep